every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the multi-award winning Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. Boy, am I proud to say that. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Brock Feeney is officially a Supercars race winner. He took a maiden victory in Sunday's race in Adelaide, which means he is also the last winner for Holden and the last winner in a car of the future supercar. Saturday's race, meanwhile, saw a fitting one-two for Walkinshaw Andretti United, led by Chaz Mostert, wearing that incredible HRT-inspired livery. Declan Fraser sealed the Super 2 title, while the GT World Challenge Australia crown went to Yasser Shahin. Nathan Hearn won the S5000 Tasman Series after a dramatic winner-takes-all showdown with Joey Mawson in the final race, which saw them crash into each other. At Monday night's gala awards, Craig Lands and Tim Schenken were inducted into the Supercars Hall of Fame, while Lee Holdsworth was a very popular winner of the Barry Sheen Medal, Matt Payne won the Mike Cable Young Gun Award, and Cam Waters was named Driver's Driver. Meanwhile, there's a parody storm raging in Supercars even before the Gen 3 era has started, with Ford unsatisfied with the outcome of the VCAT aero testing. We'll have more on that later in the pod. There will be no Supercars retro round in 2023 with the concept off the table for at least the short term. What we could see, however, is co-drivers banned from starting the two endurance races. That's a plan favoured by Supercars CEO Shane Howard and could be tabled for the commission for next season. Looking even further ahead, Supercars will look to have the Singapore Grand Prix on its calendar for 2024. Dick Johnson Racing has a new CEO with Ryan Story stepping back from day-to-day operation of the team and handing the reins over to former AFL player and coach David Noble. Repco has extended its naming rights deal with supercars for both the series and the Bathurst 1000 until the end of 2028. Tickford Racing has locked in its 2023 Super 2 lineup with Ellie Morrow and Brad Vaughan to drive two Tickford Mustangs. Zach Best will remain with the team as an enduro drive and will make a wildcard appearance at some point during the season. And the Speed Series calendar has been expanded with an eighth event at Winton on the second weekend in June. Added to the schedule for 2023, TCR Australia won't be part of it, but S5000, Trans Am, Touring Car Masters and the reborn V8 Touring Cars will. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that was last seen cartwheeling through the other side of the universe, Stefan Bartholomew. Now, there's a gag that will show who was paying attention during the broadcast on Sunday. Stefan, how is that cartwheel going there, mate? 
Hello, Andrew. It was a weekend of many highlights, but uh, yes, definitely Neil Crompton's uh, comment about cartwheeling through the universe <laughs> caught both our uh, attention. <laughs> I've got to admit, I didn't actually fully understand what he was what he was getting at at the no. time, and I just happened to bump into him on the stairs, like um, after the race. And uh, yeah, he said he was just about to look down and read a regulation, obviously to do with the Shane Van Gisbergen overlap before the restart. Uh, situation yep. and uh, he was just asking his co-commentators to keep an eye out um, while he looked away from the monitors so uh, for someone who takes their job so seriously and is so good at it he does come <laughs> out with some amazing impromptu lines that was absolutely one of them I, I also bumped into him at the gala uh, and asked uh, I asked the same question I was like what on earth is that and he, he gave me the same explanation but yeah incredible incredible line and just I don't know mate I think it's like the you know everyone goes a bit crazy at the end of the season you know there's a lot of sort of December madness going mm-hmm. on around the paddock but um yeah and plenty in the media center as well particularly when we heard that line and had a pretty good chuckle about it anyway let's kick things off with our little review of the Adelaide 500 uh it was bloody hot I'm certainly glad I wasn't baking away in a mostly uncovered grandstand but it was still fantastic to have the event back. Uh, it's absolutely amazing to think that with everything that this event has been through, we actually only ever missed one. Like the 2021 was the only one we missed out, which is quite incredible. Uh, and speaking of incredible, we saw two absolutely fantastic supercars races to close out the season. An intriguing fuel race on Saturday where WAU prevailed in an emotional one-two. Then on Sunday, a Jamie Winkup-esque win for young Brock Feeney. But Stefan, for me, there is only one place to start this chat, and it's that burnout. I'm going to call it. It was better than Russell Ingalls' 2005 effort. I think it might be the best burnout celebration I've ever seen from any category Ever, I, I, I think it might be it might be the burnout goat. Am I getting a bit too excited there? No, I'm not going to argue against that. It really was uh, incredible, and uh, yeah, Shane said afterwards that he was uh, just aiming to beat Russell Ingalls' skid from 2005, and yeah, I think he uh, added a fair bit, fair bit to it. I've got to admit though, like while that was all happening just a couple of meters away from us, we're, we're obviously based in the media center. I was busily trying to proofread a race report to get it up on the website ASAP. So it was kind of a, a distraction that I was trying not to look at too much at the time. That's kind of the unfortunate part of our jobs. But the fun part of our jobs is going and finding out what actually happened and, and how it happened, which uh, we uh, managed to do pretty quickly afterwards. Yes, no, we uh, we went straight down to the Triple Eight garage. It was a pretty jubilant Triple Eight garage, I have to say. Um, after uh, after that Sunday race, and we grabbed Mark Dutton, um, and he explained to us that yeah, Shane had used his boot to hold the throttle on, uh, and that there had been some planning with testing throttle percentages in the garage and stuff uh, going into the weekend or going into the race uh, at least. Uh, and then Giz refused to explain how he did in the presser and tried to play down any planning uh, had gone into it. So that was uh, quite interesting. But, yeah, the, the dead giveaway was photos of uh, of Giz with one shoe on standing on top of a car doing a burnout, which is still mind-blowing to think about. Um, it turns out that Shane had met with Supercars TV boss David Tunnicliffe in the lead-up to the event to discuss how they'd celebrate the championship. Uh, Tunners had come up with the idea of the donuts around – the trophy, um, that was something Shane actually said he wasn't that keen to do but because he was worried about hitting it, which I believe Tanner said, well, that would make very good television. <laughs> um, I do believe Shane was perhaps asked to not do a stationary burnout to protect the new surface, uh, advice that obviously was not heated, unsurprisingly, uh, but no, I don't think anyone seemed all that upset about about a few uh, a bit of tarmac given just how freaking cool that thing was. 
Yeah, I mean, stationary burnouts are always frowned upon, as we know, but I can only imagine the OH&S alarms that were going off at Motorsport Australia when he actually got out of the car. I reckon the tarmac was the least of anyone's worries once that started unfolding. But uh, what that celebration needs now, though, is actually a name, like something Shane can yes. trademark. Like the Shuey brand is obviously very different. That's already been taken for something else. But, yeah, what, are, what mm-hmm. do you reckon we call this? I don't know, a ghosty? Giz's ghosty? Ooh, there you go. I, I was thinking of getting okay. Jandal in there somehow, like the Jandal Jam. But maybe that's uh, too ah, much that's Scotty right. Mac in that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he kind of, you know, he sort of unofficially trademarked the whole Jandal thing, particularly in Adelaide. But yeah, no, I think I don't know. The, the Giz's ghosty is pretty good. I reckon that. Shane Van Ghost. <laughs> um, while we're on the subject of SVG, it was actually a pretty tough weekend for him in uh, in Adelaide. He did say on Sunday night that he's never changing his number again after straying from his uh, beloved ninety seven. Uh, on Saturday, he got caught out. With the surface and, and how bad it was offline, and it really was bad. I walked back to my hotel on the track, uh, uh, you know, via the track on Saturday evening, and it was clearly bitumen, not rubber marbles, off the racing line there, which would have been pretty sketchy. Uh, on Sunday, there was a pit limiter incident for Shane that almost saw him kicked out of qualifying. He successfully argued his way out of that, but says it was still an unwanted distraction before the shootout. Uh, then he was incredibly quick in the race and pulled off some amazing moves and really seemed like he wanted to win that thing. But, you know, he had to double stack early, something that he definitely wouldn't be used to. And then he copped a drive through for an over an early overlap on the restart. Uh, Stefan, let's start with that one. He was upset with the timing of the penalty because it was 13 laps later that, that he was served with it. Um, but, I mean, to me, there was overlap there. And it almost looks like he talked about Lee Holdsworth going wide. It looks like he helped Lee Holdsworth go a bit wide there. Yeah, I mean, Groves hammed up. Lee's retirement, presenting him with a scooter and a walking stick and and all the rest of it. So I guess Shane was, I don't know, just escorting an old man from one side of the road to the other. Maybe he was uh, trying to do the right (laughs) thing. Such a nice thing to do. But uh, the the weird part Um, of it, though, was that it was investigated and then seemingly cleared and then reopened again. That was the story that Triple Eight was telling anyway. So obviously there was a bit going on behind the scenes that we don't really know about. I mean, there's no love lost between Groves and Triple Eight, is there? That's no. uh, that's something real. So, uh, yeah, that was a weird one, and Shane was clearly frustrated by uh, getting the penalty, and it really robbed us of seeing how far through the field he could could get by the end. Yeah, I mean, I did. Um, you know, speaking of sort of uh, politics between teams, I did enjoy Dick Johnson racing trying to pretend that Giz was blocking Anton during that double stack. Um, the photographic evidence wasn't overly convincing that uh, Shane had any impact on Anton getting jumped by. Chaz at that point. Yeah, I don't know whether that was just the magician's trick of look over here rather than over there because I think like DJR sending Anton, nearly feeding him straight into Mostert was probably uh, more concerning yeah. in some ways. So they were preferring to talk about the other part of it. One thing I thought about over the weekend, and particularly on the Saturday, we recently did a media roundtable with Scott McLaughlin heading into Adelaide, and someone asked him, you know, if supercars could survive if Shane ever did lead. Obviously, Shane has talked about the fact that, you know, he wants to wait and see on Gen 3 before a new deal and all that sort of stuff. Now, Shane is great for our series. I genuinely think he is one of the best drivers on the face of the planet. But I also think we could have amazing title fights without him. And this weekend, where he was back in the pack, it was kind of an interesting case study in how fascinating these races are when Shane isn't just out front dominating, dictating everything on his terms. Yeah, I don't know whether they can invent a rule that says he has to start at the back, but um, he definitely has a 
big fish, small pond sort of syndrome going on at the moment. And I think what his plans are for 2024 is really going to be a big story as next year unfolds because he spoke again on Sunday about wanting to wait and see what Gen 3 is like before committing um, any further beyond 2023. And, you know, it's interesting how openly sceptical he is about the Gen 3 car given Triple Eight designed it. Do you reckon there's any chance he will leave at the end of next year? I don't know. Look, it's what's interesting is as well is that he's talked a lot about how unhappy he is that he hasn't been given much seat time in the Gen Three car. He seems he seems pretty annoyed by that. Look, I, I don't know if he would go. Um, I certainly couldn't see him going somewhere where he'd have more out of the car stuff to do. If he went to another series, this could also be. I mean, he has to sign a new deal. He's got a deal for next year, but not beyond that. So I guess you kind of can end up there's sort of a funnel situation where. You know, he's the best. He's clearly the best driver, but he's driving for what is clearly the best team. Uh, and that's unlikely to change in the Gen 3 era, particularly as every the teams get more used to those cars. So he needs some sort of negotiating tactic when he goes in there and says, I want more money or I want this or I want that, because, you know, the chances of him going to another team are fairly low when he's got the best drive in the category. So maybe he's just trying to position himself to have something to go in there and and talk turkey with uh, with Jamie and uh, and the crew to try and uh, to try and get this next deal over the line. I don't know. That's just that's just me thinking out loud. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's such a racer though that I don't know if a bit of money either way is going to affect it too much. Like, I do think if he's not challenged next year, if others don't step up and and or if he's not enjoying driving the car, there is a chance that he'll spread his wings somewhere else. And you talked about sort of the off track requirements of different categories, but. Like I think the rallying scene would just suit him so well and he's so yeah. passionate about the rally staff, which he obviously got from his father, Robert, who used to compete in rallying as well. Like it would just be a real Michael Jordan goes baseball moment if he did go down that path, but you'd actually uh, probably back him in to, uh, to succeed. Oh, for sure. And I think he won a lot of friends, you know, with that WRC outing in New Zealand earlier this year. And I mean, our, our friend and colleague, uh, Tommy Howard, you know, who was covering that rally, was talking about how everyone, you know, how energetic he was um, out of the car and, you know, his reaction to post stages and everyone was going, look at this, you know, look at this massive outgoing character that's come into our sport, which is kind of different to the image that we get from Shane in supercars where he's sort of seen as an introvert and not not overly outgoing in terms of what he displays in public. So it was, you know, Tommy was saying it was a very different Shane Van Gisbergen that was out there playing with rally cars. So I think that's that's what you're talking about, about that being – um, his his passion. Yeah, totally. And I mean, people might think we, uh, we're we too big a fans of Shane Van Gisberg and we do talk about him so much on this podcast, but I think it's just it's just enjoyable to see someone this good at their craft and, and try all these different things. Like he's going to race Speedway over the summer. Triple Eight have allowed him to, to race sprint cars, which is so cool. And I'm looking forward to seeing how, how he goes there. Yep. I'm going to Go out on a massive limb and say he's going to go okay. I think he might he might be all right at it. Let's move on, partially at least, to Brock Feeney. Um, after a pretty tough Saturday race in Adelaide, he was fantastic on Sunday. He held off Chas Mostert to take that maiden win. Um, he got a bit of good luck with the safety cars as he wasn't on the ideal fuel strategy when he sort of worked his way into the lead. But once he got into a position to win, he got the job done. Um, there was obviously shades of wink up in 2006, which many pointed out. Uh, Stefan, is this another birth of or the birth of another champion, as Roland Dane said on the TV post-race? Time will tell, but it was certainly a huge 
moment for him. He's he's done a lot right this year and not too much wrong. Like to be sixth in the championship is clearly very good. He's shown the maturity and smarts that the team knew that he had, but sport is about big moments, isn't it? I mean, he needed mm. to have that one standout race to hang his hat on, yeah. you know, to really solidify all the little steps forward he's taken along the way this season. I mean, that podium at Simmons Plains he had really early in the year, that's such a triple eight track and it kind of gave a false read on his yeah. level and like he's he's improved since then. But to be honest, like there was a risk that from the outside, the most memorable moment of his rookie season was going to go down as the fact that he was stood down from qualifying at Bathurst. Like yeah. that would have been an unfair legacy for his rookie season, but that uh, that was a bit of a shadow there. So, yeah, he's uh, finished it off in the perfect way with a win there on Sunday, and he's got a massive opportunity now with Gen 3, but really he's still got to take a big step up to get to Shane's level, I think. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you could see, you know, in terms of outright pace in that Sunday race in Adelaide, you know, Shane still – had a fair old pace advantage over Brock. He was coming. Uh, he would have been a pretty good chance to win that race without the penalties and all that sort of stuff. So there is still a fair bridge for Brock to gap. Uh, maybe this is the catalyst to begin that progression and speed it up. Um, what was interesting, like really on this point, there were some interesting comments in the two press conferences on the Sunday evening. Um, there was one press conference for the top three, uh, which Brock was in, and then there was one for, for Shane and Jamie talking about the season and, and the championship. And in, in both presses, the idea of Brock, after this solid rookie uh, season um, needing to step up next year um, came up. Let's have a listen to what they, what Brock and Shane had to say about it. I think the second half has been better than the first half. Um, we've been more competitive, a lot closer to the front and probably more consistently in that top six, seven. So felt like the pace has been there. Um, just had that early podium in Tassie, which probably got everyone's hopes up. But um, no, I think we've been pretty strong uh, from probably – Tail and Ben onwards, we've been in the mix. Um, Gold Coast was a tough one yesterday. Uh, yeah, came out and said it was my worst race because you know I ended up in the fence twice and and made a lot of mistakes. But I knew if I didn't make the mistakes today, we had a fast car and qualified reasonably well, and then did a good lap in the shootout, and it just sort of all fell into place. So I think all the stars aligned today. But um, it's good to good to get the first win, the monkey off the back, and. Hopefully we can kickstart next year and on the right foot. Brock, you said post-race in the broadcast that you wanted to show that you could be a challenger next year. Do you feel like you can make that leap to, to be a title challenger in 2023? I'd like to hope so, but um, it's, yeah, small steps at a time, but no one knows what's going to happen next year yet. I mean, we go to Gen 3 and it's a big reset for everyone. So, um, you know, I'm sure we're all hoping that we can challenge next year, but... Um, maybe it's someone we're not even thinking about. So we'll wait and see. Uh, certainly a good way to end the year, though, and ho hopefully, um, you know, as I said, uh, got the experience leading the race now and got the first win emotions out of the way. It's been great working with Brock. Um, he's been getting better and better, and sometimes I miss getting pushed by this guy, but Brock, you know, he out-qualified me today. So there's always something to learn and... Even if I'm faster, there's sometimes one corner he does randomly because he has no preconceived ideas and it's faster. So I, I have to adapt to that. So, yeah, it's been good to learn off him, but um, with him getting faster and faster, hopefully we're pushing each other next year. Next year is going to be super important with the new car and we need to, need to push each other to develop it. So I'm glad he got a year in a, in a well-sorted car before next year. 
Before we move on from Adelaide entirely, Stefan, I just want to have a chat about the Tasman Series showdown. Now, Nathan Hearn kind of had the thing shot to pieces uh, after winning the first race, and then he clipped the wall in race two and had some gearbox overheating issues. That gave Joey Mawson an unexpected title shot with the final race, basically a winner-takes-all Um Showdown between the two. Uh, Hearn needed to get by. He started third, quickly got in second, needed to get past Mawson um, to ensure he could win the championship. He made a big lunge at turn nine. Mawson made a very late call to defend. And uh, just like Hill and Schumacher, the title was decided by a crash on the streets of Adelaide uh, in Hearn's favour in this case. They had some pretty nasty things to say about each other after the race. Stefan, who was at fault for that in your astute eyes? Yeah, I must admit I didn't spend a lot of time uh, analysing the replays on this one, but certainly the initial read was that Joey moved it over in the braking area, which is too late to defend it. Um, the drivers obviously had two wildly different takes, and as you mm-hmm. say, they threw some personal barbs at each other too. I mean, they're a couple of pretty hard-headed characters, so um, yep. it was no surprise that when our colleague Connor O'Brien came uh, back from the S5000 paddock, uh, he had some pretty spicy quotes on his recorder. He sure did. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I agree 100%. I think when you're moving in the braking area like that, things aren't likely to uh, work out well for you, and he was pen- Joey was penalised for that probably uh, fairly. One last Adelaide thing, Stefan. Uh, visor cam. Uh, we got a sneak peek of it in Cam Waters' helmet over the weekend. He actually had to send the helmet to Italy to have that installed before the lid was painted, uh, and that was before Bathurst. So the camera's been in there since Bathurst, but it hasn't actually been connected, and they trialled it in the ride in the ride session in Adelaide and then decided to give it a lash in the broadcast and see how it looked. I think it looks really cool, Stefan. What do you reckon? Yeah, it was amazing. It was even better than I uh, expected, to be honest, because the yeah. F1 uh, one is a great – Great insight, but it's also a little bit hard to watch in some senses with uh, with the porpoising and, and all the rest of it. But there was so much to take in with the um, with the supercars version. I will say though, didn't you get in some sort of trouble about calling it visor cam because it's helmet cam? It's it's in oh, the helmet, yes. not in the visor. Yes, sorry, Tanners, I did call it. I, I called it. Yeah, I just called it visor cam again. I can't stop it. I can't <laughs> stop doing it. Um, anyway, let's move on to what was undoubtedly the spiciest meatball of the weekend. Uh, Stefan, you and I uncovered a bit of good old-fashioned parody drama behind the scenes at Supercars on Thursday. The issue is the Gen 3 cars and the recent VCAT test. Uh, Supercars left VCAT happy with the numbers it was looking at. It effectively signed off on those numbers in the aero packages, but Ford wasn't overly impressed with what they were seeing and there have been some ongoing discussion about it. Basically, Ford has been chasing more info so they can crunch their own numbers and run their own CFD simulations. Uh, there was a few meetings in the last week or so that involve Ford performance boss Mark Rushbrook to discuss all that. So it's definitely a sort of something that's been run right up the flagpole and gone right to the top. Supercars was very cagey about it when we started chasing the story, Stefan, but we did end up taking part in a media roundtable with Adrian Burgess and Shane Howard uh, on Friday where they explained their side of the story and showed a lot of confidence in their processes and the outcomes from the testing. Um, but still, at this very point, the cars aren't formally homologated. Stefan, what did you make of it all? Well, supercars being cagey about it is is one way to describe it, Andrew. I did uh, I did want to mention that I did see what looked like a a slightly heated exchange between yourself and uh, and Adrian Burgess on Thursday afternoon. I think it was. Oh, the heat was coming one way. Let me assure you. But uh, <laughs> I think to speak generically on that for a moment, like you know as well as I do, that when a journo cops a spray like that, it's really a sign of someone being under immense pressure. It's it's the yep. ultimate shooting of the messenger isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 
the Gen 3 project is getting down to crunch time. There is yep. stress everywhere, and Ford is really applying the blowtorch to supercars over the VCAT and also mm-hmm. the apparent better straight-line speed of the Camaro that's been shown up in the in the track running that they've done. So there was an, a lot yep. of analysis being done on the weekend. They weren't just demo runs they were doing on track. They were trying to learn things there as well. So as Adrian pointed out in the roundtable that we had, like the final specs of the engines aren't quite done yet either. So yep. there's a couple of variables going on, but the VCAT itself is something supercars worked very hard on to get right. And I can't know whether Ford's grievance is legitimate or not, but... I do kind of think the talk from supercars about wanting both manufacturers to walk away from that process happy is a bit of a misnomer. Like the job of the manufacturer and the homologation team has always been to game the system to their own advantage and no one has ever done it better than Ford did in 2019. So, like, man, supercars really has to make sure that doesn't happen again and they have to be strong about this this issue that they're facing right now. Could not agree more. There were some other interesting bits and pieces that fell out of that roundtable, Steph, and one was that Shane Howard wants primary drivers to start the endurance races and the Bathurst 1000 in particular. Now, this isn't actually a response to the carnage that we saw in the early stages of Bathurst this year. It's more about the fact that the start of the Bathurst 1000 is one of the biggest TV sports moments of the years, and Supercars wants its big names, the guys with their names on the windscreen of the cars, in the cars, when the casual fans are tuning in to watch. Stefan, I really don't mind this, to be honest, and I've always felt that it may come at some point. What do you think? You've got to be joking. Like They need to stop putting rules in that dictate how teams can run their races. There'll be like a compulsory lap where you can have a drink in the car <laughs> next. Like. Well, the you could fact- sponsor that segment. Think commercially, Stefan, oh, please. I'm, I'm obviously not talking about alcoholic beverages there, but uh, <laughs> the fact that it's a mix of primaries and, and co-drivers through those stints, not just the first one, actually makes it more entertaining. It's pretty much the only thing that's given us passing in the first half of these races in the last few years. So they need to do a better job. If this is a big issue, they need to do a better job of integrating the non-starting primary drivers into the broadcast in that first one or two stints. Like if they're not in the cars, we can actually see and maybe hear their reactions to what's going on. Like if anything, there's an opportunity there to to promote the primary drivers and their personalities during that moment. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can still see some sense to it, but there you go. Uh, We also learned that the retro round won't happen in 2023 and it feels like now the 500 is back at Sandown, a new home. It would need a new home if it did ever come back. Thoughts on that? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I don't think this was ever going to happen for 2023, retro round being the Sandown 500, because it's just not worth the spend for the teams if it's not on free-to-air TV. But, of course, teams can still run retro liveries when they want to. I mean, Walkinshaw Andretti United would have made plenty of cash out of their merchandise sales on the weekend. They obviously did it really yep. well in terms of the livery and they capitalised on it. broke the curse. Broke the retro livery curse they, as well. They did. So, um, yeah, they did that well. And, you know, I'm sure it doesn't cost them $85 to make each of those shirts. So, uh, yeah, good on them. 
And finally, Stefan, Singapore, Shane Howard admitted that, yes, it did go close to appearing on the calendar this year. And yes, supercars will try and include it on the calendar in 2024. The issue for this year was basically freight costs. So uh, the Singapore Grand Prix organisers, it seems, are willing to pay for supercars to come and race, but the dollar figures didn't quite add up to cover the freight and pay the teams and make sure everyone's happy. So cheaper freight options are being investigated. Stefan, what do you think about this? I mean, on one hand, taking the series outside of Australia when we're running such a compact schedule and the likes of Winton and Phillip Island and Queensland Raceway aren't on the calendar feels a little bit odd. But on the other hand, racing in Singapore in front of what is a highly motivated Formula One audience right now would be like unbelievably cool. What do you think? Racing in Singapore for supercars would be awesome. Like um, it'd be a great showcase for the championship and much different to some of the permanent tracks they've been to overseas. Like the street, Mm. street racing, um, would be a great, as I said, showcase for it. But at the same time, I'm not holding my breath. Like they should always be trying to have these conversations, but when they can't even work out how to get to New Zealand, I, yeah, yeah I think Singapore maybe uh, is unrealistic. That's a shame, Stefan. That's a shame you think that. Uh, And finally, on the local news front, uh, Repco has extended its naming rights deal with supercars for the series and Bathurst until 2028. There was already a deal in place until 2025, so this is effectively an extension of that deal. Uh, I grabbed Repco CEO Wayne Bryant for a quick chat about why they've gone early with this extension, and here it is. Yeah, so explain the decision to go early. We, we had a deal in place, yeah. you know, until 2025. There was yeah. the deal in place for you guys and supercars. What's the uh, what's the rationale behind extending earlier? Well, look, it's a good question. Um, we we The way we work inside of our business is we take a long-term view to things. We plan well ahead. We're quite considerate about our investments. And what we saw with supercars was a real opportunity to more deeply integrate with them. And what that means is we've got more we can do online, we can do more in our stores from a branding perspective, uh, and there's a number of other partnership opportunities with supercars, but it makes more sense for us if we do that and we've got a six-year runway to invest and then be able to get a return on that investment and, and actually, frankly, work with them to continue to build a sport. We've seen, you know, there has been a lot of activation work done with you guys. There's the Repco Garage and the Pit Stop Challenge and that sort of stuff. How important has that been in terms of actually not just having, you know, stickers on fences, but being able to get in touch with the people that come and buy stuff in the shops? Yeah, we, from the very beginning when we decided to partner with supercars, we were absolutely committed to creating a a great fan engagement experience. So to do that, you can't just put a sticker on a fence, you can't just put a sticker on a car, you've got to turn up at each event and put on a good show and play our part in that. And we, I think we've done a great job on track with that. I was thrilled with what we did up at Harris Park. I like what we're doing here in Adelaide. But again, there's more we can do in the years ahead. And what we want to do now is also bring that to life in our stores, not just on track, but across 400 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Are we going to see the BT19 out and about on track? Uh, We'll continue to see that uh, in in the right locations at different times (laughs) through the year. We've got to look after that vehicle. It's a really important vehicle, so we we choose carefully where that goes, but uh, every time we turn up with it, it gets... um, The fans love it, and uh, we'll we'll definitely keep it going out around the the tracks. Uh, Stefan, like, it's just good news, basically, right? Yeah, absolutely. Repco have not only come in and, and taken naming rights to, to the championship and to Bathurst, but they've they've activated their sponsorship really well. And and a key part of that program has been their sponsorship manager, Mitch Wiley. Um, and I do want to give him actually a shout out, not for any of his um, serious work with Repco, but he really stole the show on stage last night 
at the uh, mm-hmm. at the gala awards. I think when John Stevens handed the mic over. Um, he had no idea that Mitch was going to give a flawless performance of Take Me Back. <laughs> the look on John's face was uh, fantastic, and I think uh, a few people in the room uh, got a surprise. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Scott McLaughlin will debut in the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona early next year with Tower Motorsports. He'll be teamed up with uh, Joseph Newgarden, Kiffin Simpson, and John Ferrano. And the Autosport Awards Gala was on over the weekend as well and saw Max Verstappen win Racing Driver of the Year while Lewis Hamilton was British Competition Driver of the Year. Sebastian Vettel, meanwhile, was given the Lifetime Achievement Award and Roger Penske the Gold Medal. All right, Stefan, it's my favourite time of the week when we play a bit of I Spy with My105.com I. Uh, you can go first this week. What caught your eye on My105.com? Well, the uh, racing season has largely finished, Andrew, so I'm going mm-hmm. with a road car this week. There's a Tommy Mackinnon edition Mitsubishi Lancer Evo 6 Ooh, listed nice. for sale. It's here in Adelaide too, and it's just ah. an amazing car. So... Uh, I was pretty excited to see that, although I reckon at 190 grand, I might be relying on on Santa for this one. Yeah, I think you deserve it. You've been a good boy. I could see you cruising around the beach with the windows down in your Tommy Mackinnon Lancer. I think that's going to be a nice. What, summer what have you got, Andrew? I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with the rally theme, uh, and I'm going to go with a Hyundai XL rally car that's up for grabs back in Perth. Uh, now, I want this car for one reason, one reason only. It has a massive light spot on the bonnet, and for some reason, I just love a huge set of lights on a rally car. Really gets me going. So they can take my 15 grand, and I'll be all ready to enter. I don't know Rally Monte Carlo early next year, ready to rock and roll. Okay, it's Castrol mailbag time. Now, full disclosure, it's the day after the gala. We're a little bit disorganised. Keen listeners may realise we're not firing on all cylinders today, but uh, I believe you did go to great lengths to find us a question, Stefan. Yeah, we had a stroke of luck. Uh, I'm visiting my parents here in Adelaide, and uh, when I walked in uh, this morning, my dad said, uh, I've got a question for your podcast. In 63 years of Ford versus Holden, who won? Which... uh, was uh, oh, pretty pretty timely. You, Papa Bartholomew. Being a bit of a Ford fan, he also provided the answer. There was some strategy in asking this question. He reckons yeah. twenty-seven championships to twenty-three in Ford's favour uh, gives it to the Blue Oval. Uh, what's your take? Well, if, is that the amount? Do they do they win? I think they win. Yeah, for sure. That's if they've won more championships, they've won. Oh. We're happy with that, aren't we? I reckon there'd be some red-blooded folks uh, looking at some Bathurst uh, tallies as well. uh, Yeah, okay. Well, that's a wider – well, okay, we can dip into the what's worth more, the championship or Bathurst. That sounds like a whole other podcast. Yeah, it's a whole podcast. All right. Well, maybe we'll tackle that another time. All right, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. Uh, Stefan, my Castrol Star is going straight to Lee Holdsworth. He's a legend of a bloke, and I, for one, am proud to have voted for him to win that Barry Sheen medal. It was richly deserved. He also gave an epic speech at the gala when accepting the award, and he explained that after Sunday's second race, he saw Brock Feeney. Lee had told me earlier in the weekend he was going to do some donuts regardless of where he finished in that race, and he, uh, he saw Brock Feeney cutting some hoops at the end of uh, the race at turn nine, and uh, he said he basically thought, well, F you, mate, you've got plenty of time for skids ahead of you. Let me have a crack and barge his way in there and and started doing some donuts, which was very, very cool. Uh, Stefan, your Castrol star for the week? Well, that was a great star choice from yourself, Andrew. Lee Holdsworth, Thanks, a very worthy winner of the Barry Sheen medal. I'm going with 
James Courtney. It was great to see him back on the podium on Saturday, especially in light of the tough build-up he'd had with his uh, six-week-old son needing to have some emergency surgery. So, Mm. um, yeah, James spoke about that at length after the race. And uh, as a minor point, you know I love these ones. JC handed over his champagne bottle to uh, Walkinshaw Andretti United engineer Terry Kerr on the podium there mm-hmm. for Terry to spray it around with uh, Chaz and Nick and enjoy the moment. So I think that's uh, that's always a nice touch. Obviously, James has a had a long history with the Walkinshaw team too and knows uh, most of those guys in there. So uh, he actually said he was a bit emotional about seeing them get a one-two on the last weekend for Holden, which uh, yeah didn't expect after after that race. Well, I'll return your compliment and say that is also an excellent Castrol star choice. So good work on that. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.